0: All right, good morning, everyone. We're going to get started here. As you can tell, I'm not Stephen. He is uh, preoccupied at the moment. Very exciting. Uh, Thoughts and prayers are with the Leopolds now as they're adding one to the family. He's already a part of the family as that part of the family becomes manifest. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kind of pick up where Steven left off. Um, I took his notes and, and tried to make it into something that I can speak on. So if you guys thought last week was uh, fun <laughs> talking about the fact that there are differences between men and women uh, this week, we're going to get into one of the big differences, okay? Um, so, if we go to our outline, I'm going to introduce this. Um, what we're talking about today is is the role of a husband. So, uh, I am one, so I think I'm qualified to speak on it a little bit in that way, um, I'm going to do my best to be as accurate from scripture, and I'm really going to try not to go any further than what scripture has to say on the subject. So we're going to introduce headship as a model embodied by Christ. Then we're going to highlight Adam and Eve's story and kind of walk through that. Um, I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to try and define what head means, right? It sounds like a complicated word. I don't know if you've heard it before. Um, and we're going to look into those implications. And then we're going to go back to Adam and Eve's story and examine it. And then we're going to examine Adam and Eve's responsibility, consequences, and anointing. So to get started with headship, um, let's just start with reading the main verses that we get this idea from. So 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. All right, and if that wasn't clear enough, if we got confused, lost somewhere, let's read Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his is himself its Savior. So there's two very clear things. I, right out of the gate, Christ is our example here. Okay? We're, we're, we we got to follow Christ's example in this matter. And if, you know, Stephen's been talking about how he's going to be having meetings, uh, I think it was once a month, about during this series of pressing things into the corner, which means how do we Where's the rubber meet the road, basically? And if you really want to get how the rubber meets the road, like, I can give you these two verses that say that a husband is the head of his wife. And that's like what we've got in the New Testament, is these two verses. I mean, there's more verses that aren't as clear and didactic, but when it comes to just saying it straightforward, these are the two verses, and... uh I could just give you those and you'd be like, okay, now what do I do with them? But once you see that Christ is our example, um, our goal here is to see how Christ does it and follow his example. So if you want to press this into the corners, if you want to help the rubber meet the road, you've got to be looking to Christ and how he does things. The next thing I want to say is this is a very plain thing. The very plain teaching, it's very straightforward. This verse isn't like, a trick of words. It's not like uh, some hidden mystery from us. It's very clear. It says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Very straightforward. It's a statement. It's not a question. Um, but I do think we need to be pers- like very precise in our application in this day and age. Like we looked into last week is we're in a in a culture right now that has all but abandoned the words man and woman. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have. They've definitely abandoned the definitions. And we're in a culture that sees headship only as a power differential. So there's a lot of things we're bringing to the table just from being in this culture that are going to make this confusing maybe. Uh, We're going to bring a lot of assumptions that could make this offensive to us, this statement. Um, Our job isn't to be offended by this. uh, We can work through being offended. But just because we're offended doesn't mean it's wrong. It's a very straightforward statement in Scripture. That a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. But let's... Let's work on being precise about how that gets applied. The first thing I want to say is, I guess this is the third thing I want to say. Um, When it comes to headship, like I said, because it's so plain, if you're a husband, you are head of your household. You don't have a choice. You don't get to be a husband and say, um, well, today I don't really feel like being head of household right or i want to be in a a marriage where there is no head of household we don't like having those types of phrases in the house it's too offensive if you uh we even have heads of households for single brothers and sisters households right because the model is here but what i'm I want to say it's very straightforward to all of the husbands or all the people looking to be a husband. You don't have a choice on whether you're head of your household or not. You don't get to give that to your wife. It's not your title to, to give away. It's, it's straightforward in scripture. This is what it is. So let's look at the story. This is where we're going to do a lot of reading. Genesis two fifteen through eighteen The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat, in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Genesis two twenty-four through 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Sorry, I'm going to stop there real quick. and just. The reason I'm going through and reading all of this is because we've kind of breezed through these scriptures a lot and I'm going to, I'm going to zone in on certain parts of this passage later on and I just want it to be before us and in our minds. So if you're listening along, reading along up, up on the screen, try and think through this and really visualize it. Picture, picture this story. This is something that actually happened. This is the, like the first things that happened. This is really important. It's foundational to us as Christians. So I'm going to start over Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat? And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's the story. Let's move on to explaining what head means. So the first thing to understand about the head um, and it's very practical meaning it physically means a head. (laughs) Um, And last time I checked every head that uh, did any thinking uh, was attached to a body. And every, anytime, you know Last time I checked, any head that did any thinking that was t- attached to a body, um, we consider the head and the body of the same body. Okay? So, what I'm trying to get at here is we're on the same team. <laughs> if you're a husband and wife, you're on the same team. First Corinthians 12, 14 through 18. For the body does not consist of one member... But of many, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong on the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. Now this is a a funny one to imagine. If the whole body were an eye, (laughs) where would be the sense of hearing? If the, This might be even funnier. If the whole body were an ear, <laughs> where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the body, or the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So that last part's really important. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Okay? I want to get back to what I said earlier. This is a very plain teaching. It's very straightforward. When Paul wrote his epistles, he was not mincing words when he said, husbands were heads of their wives as Christ was head of the church. But what's that look like? All right. Genesis 2.24 even, uh, this one gets quoted in the New Testament lots of times. Um, because it's important. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we're on the same team. Very important idea, okay? So let's get on, now that we've set that foundation, we're on the same team, let's get to the definition here. In Scripture... The word head, like I said earlier, um, means like the physical head. Right? Even even the Greeks had a word for the thing on, on top of your body, the head. It also means chief or prominent. Um, chief cornerstone is actually the same word in Greek as head. In um, the Septuagint, when they translate head from the Hebrew and the Old Testament to Greek, um, it's even the same word that they use for, like, head of a river, right? And so, like, these are all ideas that are floating around this idea, this, this word head, okay? And we get a sense of that just about how we talk about the head and how it's oriented um that like if it's raining the first thing that's gonna get wet is your head (laughs) right that's the closest to the sky (laughs) it's gonna get wet first right it's uh if you ever watch football players they have to make special rules not to hit first with your head uh, because that's our tendency is to go head first into things right (laughs) um So that there's this idea of physical head, chief cornerstone, um, source of a river. It also means authority or prominent. So, again, when you marry those two ideas, like... I'm not doing anything, like, I'm not preaching today anything, like, super specific, (laughs) and I'm not getting into a bunch of details, and I don't have, like, a bunch of points for you. It's basically just that headship is in Scripture, and what's that look like? And I know I keep saying that point, but it's really important that, like, yes, this is what a head is, and yes, it's a part of the body, I know it's super simple, but, like, we've really messed it up in our culture, and I really want us to get it right. Because, as we're going to see, when you introduce something like this, a headship, there's three outcomes for the person who's head over, who's federal head, right? The guy in charge, if you want to put it that way, I guess. The The responsible person. There's three options. So the way I like to think about this is like the head of a team would be its coach, right? I think that's fair. Uh, The head of an orchestra is the conductor, right? The head of, of a restaurant is the manager, right? Now if you think about these people, we all have known, maybe not everyone's known a conductor, but most of us have known a coach, and some of us have known conductors, and some of us uh, have known managers, and been managers, and been coaches, um, is that there are, there are those who abdicate their responsibility. Remember when I said you don't have a choice? So if you, if you go into this as a husband, and you're like, okay, I know Daniel said, I don't have a choice, but I'm going to choose not to be head of my household. That doesn't mean you're scot-free. You don't get off, like, without any blame. It just means you're an impotent leader. It means you're an ineffective leader. It means you're the, the teacher in a classroom where the kids are going crazy. I often think of this of, uh, if we got any NBA fans out there, I often think of any coach who's coaching LeBron James as probably an impotent coach because LeBron James coaches himself. That's how he does it, (laughs) right? Whoever's coaching LeBron James has become an impotent coach. Um, Any restaurant where the manager has, like, doesn't take on the role Uh, it's not going to run well, and people are just going to do whatever they want, right? Now, you got the other option um, where people go beyond that, and they have no consideration for the body. It's a head with no consideration for the body. You get a tyrant, right? We've all known tyrants. Oftentimes, tyrants find their way to the, the highest level of authority, and you don't want to be a tyrant. You don't want to be someone who's not considering the well-being of the whole body. Another way of thinking of this is literally how people treat their bodies, right? Imagine someone who, in their head, they know what is healthy to eat, but instead of eating what is healthy, doing what is healthy for the whole body, they just listen to their cravings. They stuff their face with sugars and trans fats and, and everything else that's terrible for you. Lots of processed foods and drinking tons of pop all day and whatever else they're doing. And they sit on a couch all day and it's like, I was listening to my body, the doctor said listen to your body. So I listened to my body and this is what I did. You've become an impotent thinker. You've become unqualified to lead your body well. You've not taken care of your whole well-being. Now, on the other end, we also know the tyrants. Yeah, I like to think of these guys that are like the mind over matter guys. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the, just push through the pain. You know those guys? They're, like, usually into extreme sports or, like, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something, and they, they're like, oh, I'm not going to tap out, and then their arm gets snapped in half. You think they're doing healthy things for their body any more than the person on the couch is doing healthy things for their body? No. <laughs> so, yes, you got to listen to your, your body, but your body's not in charge. Right? Now, there's a third alter- option, and that's to be Christ-like, where Christ, being the head of the church, took responsibility for the church. And that's what we're talking about today. Like, a Christ-like husband isn't being a tyrant over his wife. But he's also not just leaving her to her own devices to do whatever she wants, He's not abdicating his responsibility or becoming impotent. He takes on responsibility. That's what a husband and a father does, is they take on responsibility. So let's talk about responsibility. We're going to go back to these verses and look a little bit closer at them. Adam and Eve's story. Genesis 2.15 through 18. The implication here, obviously, is that Eve has not been made yet, created yet. And we see that later in this section. But keep that in your mind. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, God gave Adam a job to do. He gave him a restaurant to manage. He gave him a team to coach. He gave him an orchestra to conduct. Okay? He gave him a family, or a a garden to tend. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day ye, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now he's given him guidelines, right? This is like someone saying, here's your, your restaurant to manage. Um, here's the rules. Make a profit for me. Uh, don't be rude to the customers. Keep a clean restaurant. This is like the owner of the restaurant coming to the manager and saying, this is how I want this restaurant managed. It's up to you. And then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So he did all of this, said this all to Adam before Eve was in the picture. Right? He didn't say it to Eve. He said it to Adam. So let's read James 3.1 as well. And this is going to lead into the next point. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So the next point is we know the managers, right? We know the... You guys know what a Karen is? Yes. We're familiar with the term, uh, the lady who's always... who immediately goes to, let me speak to a manager. Why does she want to speak to a manager? She wants to blame someone for something, and she wants to blame the most responsible person. And when you become a manager, you will get paid more money, but guess what? You will have to deal with Karen's. Yes, John Luke, more money, more problems. This is a big responsibility that Adam was given. But in stepping into it, he he opened himself up to more consequences. He was dealt with more strictly. So Romans 5.12. Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man We all read the story and we we read it today right and we remember who was the first person to, to eat of the fruit Was Eve a man No who's the man referred to here sin, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Adam was given the, the biggest store to manage, <laughs> if you will. The most important task ever to be handed out in all of history. You could say he was the chief manager, and uh, if you were a Karen, you would want to speak to him. Mm -hmm. He sinned, and because he sinned, death spread to all men. That means, in this context, all men means everybody, Mm -hmm. men and women. Like that's a big deal that's a huge consequence but it was because he had such a huge job to undertake that the Lord gave him. And this is where I want to make a point that Eve sinned and she has she paid for her sins, right? She had consequences and the serpent had his consequences and Adam had his consequences. But Adam also bore consequences for Eve because he was was head of Eve. He was head of the Garden of Eden. He was the manager, and on his watch, the restaurant got dirty. On his watch, the the customers were treated rudely. On his watch, the second chair bassoon messed up. (laughs) And ruined Beethoven. Right? I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to... <laughs> I was like, who's most... Li-? Good point. I would talk to first chair first. And then to the conductor. So who do you think the conductor's talk to? Anyways, if, if someone ruins Beethoven, you're going to be upset. And you're going to talk to the conductor. So, yeah, Eve Eve bore the consequences. We see that in Genesis 3. We'll go back to here and read it. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That's a big consequence, for the miracle of birth to be be forever linked with pain. And if you ask someone who's had a child, it's not like a little bit of pain. It's like, if there's a 10, childbirth is the 10, maybe the 11, right? And that's a consequence. But because of Adam, all men have died. and you see if if we remember back we can go back to genesis 3 earlier Let's see yeah genesis 312 can we pull that up 312 through 13 The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. What kind of manager is that? What kind of coach is that? Adam's, yeah, Adam's sounding pretty impotent right now. You're telling me, Adam, you couldn't have stopped Eve from eating the fruit? You couldn't have walked alongside her and encouraged her to hold truth to what God had said to you? Again, going even further back to Genesis 2, Adam was given the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before Eve was created. I don't know if God ever mentioned this specifically to Eve. It's not in Scripture. We don't know. But it was told to Adam... And Adam was in charge of the garden. And that means it was his job to tell Eve. Apparently he had because she, she told Satan, hey, we were not supposed to eat from that tree. But he abdicated his responsibility. He was an impotent husband to not be alongside Eve and encourage her. He wasn't washing her with the word. He wasn't reminding her of what God said. And because of that, all men have died. And beyond that, he let her influence him. So he can't blame Eve. She's going to get her consequence. But he's going to get an even bigger one because of his role. That's a big deal. And I want to look a little closer at these consequences too. Now we'll, we'll go to the next one, sorry. Anointing. So yes, there's consequences. Through one man, all men have died. But let's look at what the, the method of anointing is. We've all heard of someone being Anointed right? Maybe some uh, TV evangelist says, I've been anointed, right? Or uh, we ask that the Lord anoint us. Or you know, someone's come up to you and put that little bit of oil on your forehead. You know what I'm talking about, the anointing oil? That's not what it looks like in the Bible, by the way. So let's read it. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like The precious oil, the most valuable oil, expensive oil. Oil is not easy to make. It's expensive, and if you're talking about precious oil, it's even more expensive. It's like the precious oil on the head. Running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of the robes. If you're thinking of the collar of a robe, it pretty much runs down the whole robe. And a robe pretty much runs down to the floor. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Why this psalm mentions Aaron is when Aaron was anointed high priest, he was, they poured precious oil on his head to the point where it covered his whole body. He stood there and they poured so much oil on his head that it flowed all the way from his head down, the, down his beard, down the collar of his robes to the ground. And saying, everywhere you set your feet, Aaron, will be blessed. the whole person of Aaron was blessed and it's a picture of the lord blessing all of his church right because the high priest was a federal head right he was the one who uh would go into the holy of holies be in the presence of god and either be anointed or killed for the con- for the sins of the Entire people of Israel. This is a picture that not only do consequences flow down from the head. Or the head bears the consequences of, of the sins of the members of the body. But the blessings flow down from the head to the rest of the body. Let's go back to this, this person the anatomy of the body, the person who's thinking thoughts, right? We've talked about the couch potato, the guy who's like, I listen to my body and I ate whatever I wanted, my body wanted, and I sit on a couch, and that's what the doctor told me, right? He's not a good, a good uh, steward of his body. Now this person, if they go and they go up to a random stranger and they slap him, they can't say, my hand did it, Right? What's the body say about a hand that causes you to sin? Right? It's saying that you have control over your hand. Your your head has control over your hand, and if your hand sins, the whole body's gonna suffer the consequence of that sin. You'll probably end up in prison or something. I don't know. Probably not for slapping someone, but maybe, maybe you, you slapped a Karen on accident and she wanted to press charges. And you do end up in jail for slapping someone. Your hand doesn't just go to jail. They don't put like little bars, like a little jail cell around your hand. (laughs) Your whole body goes to jail. Your head too. But let's think about this. Let's say you have a good thought. Today I'm going to go take a walk in the morning and get sunlight early on and it's going to boost my mood for the rest of the day instead of staying inside in the dark all day. That good thought you had, your brain thought of a good thought, and it went outside, and now your whole body benefits from it. Good job. Congratulations. You're a good steward. You, the anointing of your head flowed down to the rest of your body. So Christ is the chief priest. And in Romans 15 or 5:15 after we'd read that Adam because of his sin all men were dead, we read but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Like that's what a good federal head looks like. That's what responsibility is is laying down your life. So that everyone can be blessed. A tyrant doesn't lay down his life. And a cow- an impotent coward does not lay down his life either. Right? You could talk about one of the greatest tyrants. You know, Hitler or Stalin. They didn't lay their life down. They, they threw other people's lives at problems. Right, and we we talk, you don't even know the cowards because their names aren't in history books because they run off and hide because their lives aren't laid down on the line. But the Christ-like federal heads are the ones who sacrifice their lives, who give everything, who pay the greatest price. I know this is a little bit of a weird one, but like as a history guy who likes history, if you you read about like the founding fathers, we have this idea that the, the Revolutionary War was like some glorious or, I don't know, romantic thing in some way, like these guys, like George Washington, they were well off or whatever. Most of the guys that led America into its independence were broke at the end of the war, and they died broke. They gave everything. And like obviously like, not all of them were Christians, not all of them were heroes. but that's a good example of leadership. That's why our revolution worked and probably France's didn't. Mm-hmm. Because our leaders were giving their lives, whereas when France tried to revolt, they were just taking other people's lives. the last thing I want to do is go back to Genesis 3 15 this is Satan's consequence which is guess what our greatest blessing God's that good he turned Satan's consequence into Christ's anointing and he said I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel so the picture here I love this. Um Satan's getting his head bruised, which means like if someone stomps on your head like that pain flows down to your entire body. Like if your head is crushed. The picture here is that all of all of evil is being crushed. And the authority, he's right you cut off the head of the serpent and the serpent's useless that's this picture here it's it's flowing down is the the destruction of evil is flowing down and the picture of it being the heel means that the blessing f- flowed all the way from the head of the offspring everybody to the very end that means all of good is crushing all of evil That means the least in the kingdom of God has authority over the greatest in the kingdom of evil, and this is the proper order for a family. If you're a husband, yes, you're taking on a huge risk to be a husband, but you have the opportunity. If you are a husband, this is God's ordained you. You don't have a choice. You have to be a head of household, and you. Your only choice is, are you going to be a good one or a bad one? And what blessing for a family that they have someone who's willing to step up and sacrifice their life. Right? What a covering for a family that through one man, a whole family can be blessed. So let's close with with a prayer. Lord, we thank you for husbands and fathers. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Christ, who was the ultimate federal head and paid the ultimate sacrifice. We pray for the husbands here, that they be good husbands, that they be Christ-like, and that they honor you, Lord. Please bless all of our families through our fathers. Amen.